This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your tablet, smartphone, and desktop. Support the show and get a free audiobook of your choice by visiting audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take us in. Hi, sir. Is the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends, and thanks for joining us here in Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show to the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru, and this is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. What's up? Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and joining us from the background, Andy. Hi. I'm back. Hey, Andy. Yeah. We're back. Back again. <laughs> Andy's back. Tell a friend talking about some uh some movies here yes like as Mad we Max? promised last week no oh. no 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 no. oh this is the i know wrong it show. says i know okay. it says movies with andy but i meant the star trek movies oh okay well we can talk about those too i suppose okay <laughs> guess so yeah so yes andy has now watched all of the original series based star trek movies even if they actually take place after the next generation in an alternate timeline version from a certain but, point of view. Yes, from a certain point of view. Yeah. So, but uh she's watched all the movies, so we're going to talk about the movies, which all right. is I think my a long time in the in the about. making, I think. Yeah. It's Not really, really. All you about... just started the movies. <laughs> it's 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 really all about getting through the original series so that you can get to the movies, right? <laughs> um right. yeah. Get some hate I still one. really enjoyed the original series, but I, I do have to say that the movies were very, very, very good. So yeah. I was happy to get to them, and it, I had a really a, a lot of fun watching them. So, so let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Yep, <laughs> from the director of Sound of Music, Star <laughs> Trek: The Motion Picture. Yes. So, what'd you think? Um. I liked it, uh, and you know, I often get a lot of people telling me, you know, what their opinions are of the movie before I actually watch it. No, really? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I got a lot of very mixed reactions on the motion picture, so I wasn't quite sure what to think of it or what I was going to think of it, which is which good. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think that that one is definitely the most divisive um, because I had so many people in my mentions going, it's so bad. It's so slow. I hate it. I could never watch it again. And then I had other people who are like, that is my favorite movie. It is beautiful and wonderful and I love it. And I was like, wow, okay, well, let's try this out. (laughs) So I, I did like the motion picture ultimately. Um, I do think that I I want to say like fifty percent of it is super slow establishing shots, but yeah, at, fifty sixty percent probably. <laughs> yeah, but at least they're good establishing shots and they're really beautiful. Um, and I did really like the theme and the the kind of concept of it. Um, and I really liked the characterization, especially for Spock. I thought was really well done and so overall when i finished it i was like yeah i'm i'm on board with that movie it's good but i can definitely see the criticism too because it is incredibly slow 
I mean, they just the the pacing of it is just glacial. Um, but I think it pays off in a really nice way. So ultimately, I, I I liked it a lot. But yeah, I mean, that's not that's not an easy movie to watch if you're if you're wanting a lot of explosions and action beats. I wonder about the demographics of your followers and and how many of those who like motion picture saw it in theaters. There like, were I a it... lot of those. There were a lot of people who were like, look, you have to understand that we had watched Star Trek in the 60s and they took it away and then they put it back on screen and we never thought that would happen. And then they were like, look how awesome it is and important and we care about this and yay. And they would they were just like, telling me stories about like tearing up in the movie theater and just like the amount of emotion they had for especially the establishing shots of the enterprise and Kirk looking at the enterprise and the music and everything definitely hit a chord with a lot of the like older generations of Star Trek fans, like the original, original fans. Um, But there were a lot of younger people too, like my age and even a little younger that also really liked that movie. So I wouldn't say it's completely generational, but I do think that there is a nostalgia aspect um, and like a a more a larger emotional attachment to that movie um, than the movie itself. So mm-hmm. I do think that, that that you're right about that. For for yeah, we we talked to to Larry Nemechek about the movie um, a while back um, on one of my other shows, and you know he was he was a guy who was there, you know, and you know, high school or college or whatever, you know, when the movie was coming out. And it was weird because the way that he described the whole scene, you know, leading up to it and then the the reaction and everything reminded me a lot of my experiences watching uh, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that there's, and I love that movie. I love that movie a lot. And I think a lot of it has to do with everything that was surrounding it and not necessarily the movie itself. That being said, I think that one of the things that you're seeing happening with the the motion picture now is a lot of people who may have been bored with it when they were first exposed to it because it wasn't what they're looking for uh, are going back and watching it now and and finding like a, a deeper um, philosophical element to it, which they may have missed first time around. Yeah, the know? concept is great. I I really I really like that concept and I actually didn't see I don't know if that's something you could see coming but I didn't understand like Viger and then being the reveal of it being Voyager I didn't see that coming and the second they did that like all of the pieces kind of fell together and I was like I get this movie and I get what it's saying and I like it um so to to me like there were parts in the middle where I was like okay I get it okay more establishing shots and okay some more establishing shots and there were some parts in, especially in the middle where I was kind of like whoo slow but then like when all those pieces fell together I was like you know you, you know you you win with that ending and that concept is very Star Trek just this yeah. idea of the exploration aspects of it and then I, I just I, I really really like that concept yeah, and, and like you were saying, some of those establishing shots, while maybe a little bit slow, were awesome. I mean, the Gorgeous. whole approach approach to the Enterprise is just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And just the, the use of, of music, I mean, the score is like one of the best scores in movie history. And that, 
I mean, old school approach kind of to epic filmmaking is uh, admirable, even though it, it might not have been the right choice for this particular movie. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a very 2001 quality to the way they shot it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think that, uh, that that was probably a heavy influence on this movie. Um, so what didn't you like about the motion picture? Decker. Okay, was it because uh, the character was dumb or because... Stephen uh, Collins is a gross predator? That... <laughs> um, yeah. Both. I do think that Stephen Collins being disgusting um, played into my hatred of Decker because the second he showed up, I was like, no, <laughs> get off my bridge, <laughs> you know. Um, but I also didn't really like that character. Um, I just felt like he was. Nah. Uh, and I mean, Kirk is not kind to him, especially in the beginning. No. Um, so I can see where you would have sympathy for him, but I just didn't like his whole vibe was gross. Um, and again, I don't know how much of that I would have picked up on if I didn't hate the actor so much. But that and um, the kind of the, the relationships he had with, oh, goodness, what's her name? Ilea. Yes, I suddenly blanked on her name. Yeah, I, I didn't buy that very much. Uh, it kind of redeemed itself in the end with the f conclusion. And I was like, oh, that's why they wanted me to care about this stupid romance. Um, but <laughs> at the time, I really, really didn't. And I just felt it was kind of clunky. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with the history of, of this movie and, and, and this time period for Trek. But, you know, originally this was going to be the pilot for a new show. Uh, called Phase Two, which was relaunching, and uh, basically it would have been Star Trek again, but with Decker and a random Vulcan and Ilea instead of Spock. I'm so glad that didn't happen. <laughs> but you know, it, it is kind of interesting that like a lot of those elements were taken and used in Next Gen, and and a lot of people see Riker as being basically just a, a revamp of what Decker was going to be in this show. Well, then it just goes to show how important your actor is because Jonathan Frakes versus Stephen Collins is like, there's no comparison. Yeah, but also I'm wondering, and, and it's weird because, you know, the whole thing that's going on, the dynamic which is so, sort of going on in this movie is like, Decker is like, I hate you, Kirk, because you're taking away this thing that you just gave me. And that's kind of what was going on. You know, I mean, Stephen Collins was cast as, you know, the secondary lead or whatever in, in this new show. And it's like, now we're going to make movies and sorry, but you're going to go off and merge with the ship at the end. And <laughs> then, you know, so I wonder how much of that, you know, was kind of like this. I mean, yeah, I'm in a movie, but I was supposed to be doing this, you know, every single week. Boo hoo, um, Stephen Collins. Go cry somewhere else. <laughs> Anyway, all right, so Star Trek the motion picture being what it is, they decide to move on and do Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and maybe take a slightly different approach to the material. Slightly different. Uh, <laughs> what, what were your thoughts on Star Trek II? Uh, I loved it. I would say that's probably my favorite. Um, the God, that movie is paced. I mean... 
the motion picture's biggest problem is pacing. Wrath of Khan's biggest strength is pacing. Like, the way that story plays out is, like, it's got this perfect mix of action and character that is really hard to do. Um, And then <clears throat> the last 20 minutes of that movie, I, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if anything will ever top that for me, to be honest. Like, I was... I actually is the it marks the only time that I was too emotionally overwhelmed to tweet it. So I actually just there there was the last the the I did a screenshot of the chair of Spock's empty chair and then I was just like silent for 20 minutes. And then I got to the end and I was like oh my god and I I was like okay, well for the first time ever we're going to have a second time track because I couldn't I couldn't be like as as fully in invested into that scene those well collection of scenes really the ending of that movie and still grab screenshots and put in quotes and say what I was thinking like it was too much so I just stopped watched it and just cried like a child and then did it again and kind of brought up like what I was thinking while I was tweeting it, but that first time through, uh, it was such an an emotional impact. I I was wrecked. They wrecked me, so um, that's good. <laughs> that's a great thing because that is what we want from stories. We want them to hit us on an emotional level, uh, whether it's anger or sadness or laughter. You know, if it's not touching you in an, on an emotional level, it's failing as a story. So. Whenever you have those those stories that really hit you that strongly, you know that that's some really that's some really effective art, basically. And then the next time through, uh, they basically said, "All that stuff that you went through, we're going to undo it." <laughs> uh, so, what did you think about Star Trek Three? I liked it. You know, I liked it. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I know you liked it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I I really liked that movie too. Uh, I would not. I mean, it, it doesn't. It's not Wrath of Khan, but at least they they spent a whole movie buying back Spock. You know, like it wasn't thirty seconds, and we'll get to that later. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if you're gonna walk back a death of the care of a character, you at least have to. And it's not like fiction doesn't do this occasionally and do it well. Um, you know, have someone die and then bring them back, especially genre fiction or well uh, versed in, in doing this. And at least they they didn't skimp out on the emotional impacts of what Spock's death meant to everyone, especially uh, I really love the Kirk Sarek scene at the beginning of that movie um, and these two men and their love for Spock, like uniting them. And, I mean, they spend a whole movie dealing with the aftermath of this. So it's not like it was cheaply bought, I guess. So as long as the, the movie itself is enjoyable and works, I think it does. There are some things I, I'm not particularly fond of, mostly the villain, which is too bad because, you know, Christopher Lloyd is a treasure. But <laughs> he was just so one note. Just like, I'm an evil Klingon, Mrah. Um, so that, that's always a problem because you really need your antagonist to be strong if you want to make a a good story and he was not. And then I also didn't like that they, Carol Marcus disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Because 
first of all, Carol Marcus is awesome in Wrath of Khan. And why wouldn't she be involved? I don't get it. I mean, they it, Where did they put her? Yeah. That's that's kind of weird. Like I I've never really thought about it before this moment. Like what happened? He, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what the story be. I'm sure there are people listening who are like, of course, it was a contract dispute. But I'm well, sure yeah, it was something well, like a contract yeah, sure. dispute, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the actual reason. I don't but... know. It's just that they built her to be like, sh- in, in Wrath of Khan, she is very much the scientist that designs this place. And then yeah. in the third one, it's like, bye, Carol, your son did it all. Also, it doesn't work. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> which is a huge problem too i just and then also it doesn't make sense to me that she wouldn't be involved in a storyline that involves the death of her son kirk didn't even know he had a son um and yeah he would be upset and yeah that emotion is there and i do think it's important to address it but where's his mom <laughs> i don't it think about how great of a scene they could have had with carol marcus and kirk and like they could have played it a couple different ways it could have been like she is angry with him or they they could have them grieve together but something she just poofs and that's annoying yeah. plus savik yeah. gets a face transplant but i, I had uh, less of a problem with that they <laughs> speaking of contract disputes. yeah i mean i i liked kirstie alley as savik and i liked robin curtis as savik i liked them both i thought they both brought different stuff um i just don't think savik was written as well this time around either yeah i would agree with that yeah uh, I, I i feel like uh robin curtis subscribes to the school of <sighs> there's there's different ways to play vulcans and and I feel like uh, uh, she goes to the the school of uh, no emotions being not that the emotions are suppressed, but that there's just no emotions. So you're kind of like a robot. Yeah, yeah. Chrissy Alley played like, it softer, definitely. Yeah, there, there's a moment in Star Trek Four where she's like, "Good day, Captain Spock. May your journey be free of incident." And I'm like, yeah. is she mad at him? Or I don't understand what's going on here. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, all of the best actors that portray Vulcans manage to do something where is it's really rare, where they're able to keep their face passive and yet convey emotion. Um, I, don't, I don't know if she was as good at that. But I, I do see like an argument for having her be more Vulcan-like because Kirstie Alley definitely played her as is more emotional and i can see wanting a like a pure Hmm. vulcan i mean now that i think about it nimoy was directing her so i mean the guy who knew vulcans best like he may have been it may have been a conscious decision like that who knows maybe maybe but i don't know I'm, i'm wondering if maybe just she wasn't as as good of an actress you know she maybe she didn't have the range i mean maybe there's a reason why you know everyone knows who Kirstie Alley is and Robin Curtis, I mean, aside from Star Trek Next Generation, you know? I don't know. Does that mean? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I I would say that I probably slightly preferred Kirstie Alley, but I mean, I I think they both are fine. I mean, I don't think there's a huge quality drop or anything like that. I think they just brought out different things in her character. 
It could also be, you know, the writing for sure. I mean, you've got one script written by Nicholas Meyer and another one written by Harv Bennett. And Harv Bennett's no slouch, but then again, he did write Star Trek Three, so you know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But then again, he wrote the movie that we're talking about. That we're talking (laughs) about, yes. So, (laughs) but whatever, you know. So, am I getting the? I'm getting the impression you don't like. Star Trek. No, I do like Star Trek 3. I think that it's a t- perfectly good movie when you watch it on its own and completely disregard Star Trek 2 and its place in the franchise. But I also think that it kind of ruins everything that happened in Star Trek 2. I really think that it does totally alien 3, the Star Trek movies. So, mm, you know? I don't see that. I mean, I'm Mike I'm, is one of two people with this opinion. So you know, and, and, and like granted, you know, I, I didn't I didn't see this because of the way that I watched it originally, you know, back to back. I didn't see this for years and years and years. I'm not one of two opinions. I've got two co-hosts which agree with me. Um, okay, but then... uh, <laughs> one of three. But yeah, I mean, this, <laughs> it's sure, sure. Max is the one who first pointed it out to me and his absolute hatred for this movie, you know, has rubbed off on me a little bit. But I still do like the movie. But, you know, there's no denying the fact that, yes, I'm not. I'm, no, we're, no. Even the director <laughs> of Star Trek 2 said, I cannot make Star Trek 3 because bringing, back, bringing Spock back to life is stupid. You know, he's like, I'll come back and work on number four, but I can't have anything to do with bringing him back to life because that's stupid. You know, I won't even direct the scene at the end of my own movie because I don't want to set up the fact that you can bring this guy back to life because it's stupid. You know, so no, I'm not the only person, you know, and I can only imagine what my opinion of this movie would be like if I had seen it back in the day. But bringing Spock back to life is incredibly stupid. And, you know, what Max has been saying about the Genesis device is true, too. It's very un-Star Trek and and very non-progressive and stupid. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. This movie... Listen to the commentary track stars <laughs> episode on Star Trek 3. Sure, if you want to, go ahead and do that. But, you know... No, it's good stuff. It's I good like stuff. it when Mike rants. He should do that more often. <laughs> It's and and the thing is, I do like the movie. I do. I can watch the movie, and you know, you got Sulu running around saying "Don't call me tiny" and everything, and it's like that stuff is awesome. And and the interaction between the characters is awesome. But there's a lot of stuff in there where it's just like you don't. I mean, what people complaining about like the JJ movies being non Star Trek and not getting Star Trek or whatever. Star Trek Three is much much more uh, uh guilty of of that than any any star trek movie for sure no doubt no doubt in my mind it, it star trek 3 is philosophically against what star trek is all about so there you go which i'm okay with you know whatever <laughs> it's it can still be a good movie you know that's fine it's a good movie it's just you know I'm really confused by you right now because on the one hand you're ranting and on the other hand you're like, but it's a good movie. Okay. I mean, yeah, (laughs) I can be conflicted on this thing. Sure. I'm, I'm truly enjoying it. So, you know, keep on keeping on. Um, I personally, I like this movie and I I don't think that it's, it's quite that bad of a a reversal to have Spock come back. You have to think, you have to think Mike has seen it a lot more than and that's once. true. Yeah, and that's something that has come up with some of them is like there are a handful of people who are like, I just I've seen it so often, and you know, and you know, th- there's 
there's this nice quality about me never seeing it be- before um, and only seeing it once. But there, I mean, there are tons of movies where the more you watch it, it changes your opinion, um, both for good and bad. Because, I mean, I can think of mo- a lot of comedies, especially where the first time through I didn't laugh once. Um, and then suddenly it grows on you. Uh, Anchorman was like that for me, where the first time through I was like, that movie was terrible. And then like the fifth time through, I was like laughing uproariously with it. Um, so, I mean, you can, your, your opinions can change based on repeated viewings and maybe mine will. But that first time through, I really enjoyed it and I thought it, it was really good. Um, so I went through the first three movies and had a really great time. And I was also watching them one right after the other. So, like, taking them as, a like, a an arc, basically. Um, mm-hmm. Which definitely changed my opinion, probably, too. Because I wasn't having years in between to get used to the status quo. I was going right to the next one. So... And yeah. Mike was in the same boat. Yeah, that's how I watched them, too. And because of that, that my opinion of the movie was the same as yours for like a good decade or so and it wasn't until i started looking at it in the you know proper sort of historical context that i realized what it was that this thing did. i mean they wrote it over the weekend i mean yeah. there's there's it has some flaws and and the the thing that drives me up the wall about this movie <laughs> more than anything is no matter how many flaws it has you need it in order to have anything else that that comes later. And there's some great stuff which comes later. And it's like, oh, God, like we can't even get rid of it, you know, because you need (laughs) to have Spock come back in order to tell these other stories. Uh, Anyway. I can see why from a storytelling perspective, it's like, oh, why would you bring him back? But um, then I'm also like, screw you, it's Spock, I want him back. You know, there's that purely like, I just don't want to see a Star Trek movie that's not Kirk and Spock, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like their their yeah. their relationship being like the emotional heart of that show, and then Spock being just so near and dear to my heart. I mean, I can't I can't even begin to picture having a of the original series crew without Spock. I don't even know if it yeah. would work. I, I honestly don't. I mean, so if you're weighing whether or not you want to have. This wrath of Khan being undermined versus having all of the rest of the Star Trek movies without Spock. I'll choose Spock every time. Yeah. I mean, can can you imagine that crew going on without him? Can you really sit down and imagine that? Well, I guess the counter to that would be maybe they shouldn't have. Maybe Star Trek 2 should have been the end. No! Because there's so saying. much good stuff after that. Well, you know, I agree with You'd that. You never get just... Spock and Kirk singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I can never, ever live in a world where that didn't happen. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, we'll get to that. But first, we have to get through. Well, you were complaining, what was it, like 20 minutes ago, that, that the villain of Star Trek Three was bad. So they decided, they, they heard your cries from the future. And they said, fine, then. In Star Trek Four, the villain is a probe with no personality at all. <laughs> no, it's not. That's not who the villain is in Voyage Home at all, Drew. You missed a point entirely. Oh, was man the real villain? Are you going to go into It was the, humanity. <laughs> no, the villain of that show, the villain of that movie is basically wailing. That is amazing. <laughs> it's the short-sightedness of humans. I, I, I can't think of much more Star Trek than that. Like, come on. I love that. I love that whole premise. 
Um, okay, so now we're talking about Voyage Home, which, okay, yep. let's start with the fact that I was absolutely flabbergasted by this movie in a totally good way. <laughs> like, I was watching it, and I was like, I can't believe that this is happening. Like, it, it was just amazing to me because, on the one hand, that is the silliest, most fun, hilarious movie. But then on the other hand, you have this very sincere theme of humanity being their own worst enemy and it's so timely to to even this decade but especially the late 80s i I just find it so amazing that that movie exists because it's just extraordinary the the silliness and the optimism but ah anyway and then i'm just (laughs) watching it and like the whole that whole premise I can't believe they made a movie on that premise. They time travel to go get whales. It's amazing. Who thinks of that? I could never in a million years have thought of that. And I'm just, yeah. Anyway, I love that movie. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's even more amazing. I'm not sure if you saw this, but uh, Entertainment Earth just announced that they're going to be selling uh, whale bobbleheads. George and Gracie bobbleheads. With a little, with a little Spock doing a little mind melt. Oh my God. On one of them. Oh. So there you go. They're tails bobble. It's a tail <laughs> bobblehead. Stupid San Diego Comic Con. Uh, I'm sure we'll be able to get our hands on them if we need to. Seriously, right. though, like that movie, I can't, like, just thinking about it. Wow. <sighs> yeah, it's crazy that it, it, it came together like that and nobody said, really? Re- this is the I premise mean, I guess we're at going that point, with? Yeah. I guess at that point they were like, Nimoy, you can do whatever you want. And I guess. God bless them for that. Like that movie, I just like thinking back on it, and I, I know that Drew was waiting in great excitement for me to see Spock hide his ears with the ear hiding <laughs> headband, and then turning out to look that he tears from the inside of his robe. <laughs> He's wearing a bathrobe and a headband, <laughs> and he looks like Vulcan Mister Miyagi. And I almost passed out. <laughs> it was just so amazing. And then when they go into 80 San Francisco and they're just wandering around being amazing. Like Sulu's just like walking down the street in this leather cape. And <laughs> Chekhov is talking to randoms on the street asking them where everybody keeps their nuclear vessels. And I'm just like my I had to pause it like every two minutes to screen cap it because I couldn't believe this movie. And I can understand, <laughs> I had a handful of people that don't like this movie. Mostly this is a, a movie that people really love and especially have a lot of nostalgia for. Um, like they loved it when they were kids and grew up with it. But there are some people who think it's too silly and that it, it's just weak. Um, but I just can't agree because I just had a blast watching it. I was just laughing throughout the whole thing. But there are some really strong emotional beats i mean when the whales are free i'm not even gonna pretend i didn't choke up at that like that was beautiful (laughs) um and then just so funny scotty scotty is so funny in that movie and mccoy is so funny in that movie and uhura and Chekhov stealing nuclear vessels and i just i love it i love everything i love everything about that movie Anyway, sorry. Yeah, it was one of my it was one of my like childhood films. 
like you know the Star Wars movies and Star Trek Four were like the movies that were in constant rotation. Did I say Star Trek movies or did I say Star Wars? Doesn't matter. They're both Either the same way. thing. So like I had the original trilogy of Star Wars and I had Star Trek Four, and that was like my rotation of four movies. I can't even imagine how much I would have loved this movie as a kid. Like I loved yeah. it as an adult. I, but that is. I can see why so many people have such fond memories of it from their childhood. Because I can see that being one of those movies that kids would just adore. Yeah, and this was the movie that kind of like broke through into the mainstream. You know, this is the one, aside from the first movie, which was like sort of a weird anomaly thing because it was like an event. This was like the highest grossing of all of the, you know, original movies and all that stuff. Because I think like people really responded to it even if they weren't Star Trek fans. And I think that's what they were going for, and that's why, you know, they were like, yeah, fine, you can set it in modern-day San Francisco. And had had you heard the, the idea who, who they had originally intended sort of for the role oh, of, uh, yeah. of uh, what's her name? Jillian. Jillian? No. Did you, no? It was originally going to be, keep in mind, this was the 80s, and it was Paramount and everything like that. They were originally like, oh, Eddie Murphy. What? Yeah. Yeah. It was going to be like a co-Eddie Murphy. They're like, Eddie Murphy is huge. Star Trek is huge. Let's put them together. Apparently, Eddie Murphy is a really big Star Trek fan, too. Well, that's cute, so, actually. No, I mean... That was that was the idea originally. But they were afraid of, uh, because the Beverly Hills Cop series was just getting big, they were afraid of, well, if this Star Trek movie tanks, it might tank Eddie Murphy. So let's keep the franchises apart. Yeah. I don't really know how to react to that. Like I, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't the exact same character. I don't even no, think he was a well, marine biologist. That he was just wasn't romancing yeah. Eddie Murphy. I'm shocked. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> that would have been awesome. That would have actually though. been really, really cool if they had done that. But uh, you know that they wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a kind of an interesting what if. I really scenario. liked Jillian as a character. I. Yeah, she was cool. I really liked her, and I liked that at the end she's like, peace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. She's like, thanks for bringing me, me to the future. future. Exactly right. Uh, like, yep. Thanks for the ride, man. Now I'm going to go do awesome things without you. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. That's weird. She has a better send-off than, than, uh, than Marcus. Yeah. Yeah. A million times, yeah. And I think Carol Marcus yeah. was a good character. I don't understand. Like... She was she was strong and she stood up for herself with Kirk and she was a scientist and she wasn't taking any of Starfleet like because she thinks throughout most of the wrath of, beginning of Wrath of Khan she thinks that Starfleet is giving her absolutely bonkers orders and she's like no screw you and I I really like that character and then she just poof and then Jillian gets this great parting line what is it see you around the galaxy. Yeah. I love yeah. that, and yeah, it's just, it's a great send-off for her. I just love thinking about this awesome biologist from the 20th century swanning around space. I think, I would like to see that show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Star Trek Four, huge, hugely satisfying and everything like that. We've had, you know, three movies in a row right here that just blew you away, which leads to Star Trek V, <laughs> The Final Frontier. 
Um, yeah, okay, so Star Trek V is definitely the weakest of the original series movies. I, I, I don't know. Is there anyone that disputes that? Um, John Mills does. Oh, okay, so there are some. Um, <laughs> oh, and Max. Uh, yeah, all of my co-hosts dispute <laughs> that, so there you go. Okay, um, well, my <laughs> timeline didn't, so that's really the only way I can, like, judge it, because I don't know, you know, like, all this See, stuff. See, because Max that... isn't on Twitter. His, his opinion is losing out. Yep. See, like, I just, I don't, because I'm not in, I haven't been in the fandom for so long, like, these accepted opinions of everybody, like, there's usually a, like, a, a an accepted fan opinion. All I can judge is by the, you know, thousand some people that follow me and what they tend, they tell me, you know, so from, from that, I gather that Star Trek V is in general the least favorite, um, that's an accurate. Okay. That's an accurate discussion. Yes. It was for me too. Um, my least favorite. Uh, <clears throat> I really just think that the plot doesn't make. The, yeah, I just don't like that plot. The character moments, I think, are still there. I mean, there's some mm-hmm. truly, truly enjoyable character moments in that movie. Um, if that movie had been entirely two hours of Spock, McCoy, and Kirk camping in the woods and like roasting marshmallows, I would give it like <laughs> ten out of ten stars. It, it was just whenever they're together, I I mean, I really feel like they can almost do no wrong. I mean, <laughs> Kirk spends like ten minutes climbing a mountain for no reason. Yeah. And then which John Woo ripped off at the beginning of Star Trek 2 or Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> Mission Did Impossible you notice that? Anyway. I didn't. <laughs> okay. Um but yeah, he spends all this time climbing a mountain inexplicably, which I am fine with cuz it totally makes sense to me that Kirk would just free climb a mountain for no reason. Um and then Spock shows up in like space boots. <laughs> man i love that so i mean there's like so much good in that movie there really is it's just that the main story and the main plot don't connect for me at all like this character of civic is that his name cybok yeah that guy whatever vulcan jesus is how i kept referring to him (laughs) I, i just didn't i just didn't like that storyline it just didn't make sense to me and it didn't resonate um i know that there are some people that it did more for um but personally i was like what and i didn't understand his like powers yeah he talks to you and then you decide to follow him to the death i don't get that um was he just super persuasive or did he have actual mind control powers or what I I, it's like, I think he was, was like using his mind meld powers for evil. yeah something I I just I don't feel like that was very clear to me so I wasn't understanding why suddenly Uhura is like drinking his Kool Aid and I didn't get it and then I I do like I do kind of like the climax of that story like that great undercut line from from Kirk which is like wait a second what would God need with a starship is phenomenal because the whole time i'm thinking this is super weird like they get to this big glowing voice kind of thing and it's all like yeah i'm god and it, like projecting a, sure like a you white are. dude with a beard and being like yeah i'm totally god and i'm like please tell me this isn't like legit and then kirk's like 
what? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that was a great moment and um, a good conclusion to that whole story because I that's basically what I was like. I was like, what? Why? But yeah, I mean, I just know. No to the, that plot. But then they finish it out with them singing Row Your Boat. And I just am like, I love, love, love those characters. And they get some really good, they get some really good moments in that film. And the love between the three of them comes through very clearly. So I didn't hate it. It wasn't like I s spent the whole time hating it. I just, I liked it okay. But it had a lot more weakness to it than the rest of the movie. So, like, when you compare it to the rest of them, it it's falls way short. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, again, kind of like Star Trek Three, where there's some great moments in it, you know? I mean, like, everything at the beginning in particular, and, like, the, basically the first half of that movie. I would always say, like, I like the first side of the Laserdisc. The second side, not so much. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like that, that opening stuff I thought was really cool. And there's the whole thing where they do the raid on the planet and that was pretty cool and, <laughs> and everything. And <laughs> sorry, I was just remembering, I think I forget even why he said this, but Max's comment about how, uh, Captain Kirk kills the cat woman by, th <laughs> by throwing her face down in the pool and letting her drown to death. That's horrible. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. but just the idea that like. That's something which is in this movie. Like he straight up kills this woman, and no one, no cares. one ever says anything about. Yeah, it's what horrible. <laughs> Just the idea that yes, that's the type of movie that this is. Um, and and, and it, everyone just kind of is like, whatever. Yeah, I mean that's sort of how this movie plays out. And uh, I don't know. You know, there there's moments in there like you're saying which are great, but there's also a lot of stuff in there which is just very tedious. Or listen to the women at warp where we talk about the original series movies because my co-hosts uh, really rail on that rightly. Yeah. Um, I just That's I cool. just missed it. Um, I mean, I knew she was there and I knew that they fought, but I must have been licking away when he just leaves her face down in the water because it's very brief. You're right; they like throw it in there and then keep going. And yeah, why he murdered someone? Ugh. I don't think that was the intention at all. I really don't. I think they were just like, this is how we're going to stage it, and we can't have this actress land on her back because it'll break her spine, and we're not going to do a thing where he turns her over because this is supposed to be just a cute little action beat, and we're going to assume that she got up and she's fine. You know, I think that was the intention of the filmmakers. It just obviously didn't play that way. So I'm, I'm glad you brought know. it up because... I don't even know why it just popped into my head and I remembered this conversation and I'm like oh that was yeah weird. it's it's anyway. disturbing I don't like it take it out <laughs> somebody re recut or... this movie for me and just take that entirely out <laughs> yeah you could cut out a lot of stuff from this well, movie I think you'd really like an alternative fan interpretation that that I read about which is uh it, it really helps if you look at Star Trek 5 as Kirk's nightmare during the camping sequence. <laughs> like everything from the, I mean, like, and if you think about it, you know, it's about Spock having some, like Spock hiding things from him, you know, the existence of a brother and like losing the ship and losing his crew and, and having to face his pain and stuff. And, and then like all the goofy stuff, like the fact that when Spock is, 
blasting them up that turbo lift shaft and it shows deck 74 or something ridiculous of a, like a 20 deck ship uh, it doesn't make any sense and because in a dream you get things like that there'll be things that don't make any sense yeah and then and then they wake up and that's why they're camping again at the end it's just the next day and i i totally buy it yeah I yeah, just, the, I mean, the the be- very beginning and the very end of that movie work really well for me. It's like all the stuff in between. <laughs> That's why I say, like, if they had just made it that for two hours, I probably would have been okay with it. Like, they never go anywhere. <laughs> they just tell stories around a campfire. <laughs> I would have been okay with that, to be honest. They tell stories, and it's just original series episodes. Yeah, like, and they hey, just show remember the when that episodes. happened? That was crazy. <laughs> Flashback, and then every flashback. once in a while, they cut to, to uh, Sulu and Chekhov wandering aimlessly in the wilderness, completely lost. That could be a great movie. Yeah, it could be. But at least we get to see William Shatner's direction in this thing. That's yeah, cool. the second it yeah. popped up with like directed by William Shatner, I was like, uh-oh, I don't, okay, <laughs> I don't know about that. Really? Because the second that would pop up for me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the best movie ever made. <laughs> but you have a problem, Mike. We need to talk about this. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe not, but whatever. I will watch anything that he does. So, yeah. And screenplay by David Lowry, writer of Obsessed and Lakeview Terrace and Nurse 3D. So hey. I don't know what any of those are. So They're all the They're best movies flops. ever made. Man, Mike, so it is really, really all. hard for people to reference movies and directors I don't know. So I tip my, or writers I don't <laughs> know. So I tip my hat for you to you for that. <laughs> it's kind of my thing. But <laughs> yes. watch all those movies as a triple feature. I'm not going to watch anything called Nurse 3D. I'm, I'm sorry. Not going to happen. <laughs> it's it's pretty hilarious, but whatever. <laughs> so, Star Trek 6. Star Trek 6. The undiscovered I country. really liked yeah. Star Trek 6. I really did. Um, I think that's a really cool Star Trek message. The whole idea of the undiscovered country. I, mm-hmm. I just I think that's really great. And then they have awesome stuff. Hi, Mary. They have awesome stuff like Christopher Plummer being a Shakespearean quoting Klingon, and they've got just <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> that's a good movie. Um, and then when they're on that um, that that penal planet, and Uman is there. That's great. I just I like that movie, but there are a handful of things that um, upset me, um, and one of them was when uh, Spock finds out that Valeris has betrayed them, and that's unfortunate because I actually was really enjoying her character, and her betrayal didn't completely track for me, but okay, I mean that's an interesting twist, but then he like mind assaults her on the bridge in front of everyone. And she's like in a great deal of pain. Yeah. And the first time through, I didn't really, it didn't really affect me that much because that's right at the very, not the very end, but like the climax of that movie. Um, so they're about to go into a lot of stuff, and I was kind of overwhelmed with it all. So I like noticed it, was uncomfortable with it, and then moved on because the plot was going so fast. But then, like, the more that I think about it, the more uncomfortable I am with that scene. It's really, 
it's really hard to think about that happening, especially from Spock. Yeah, I mean, I think it is an uncomfortable scene for sure. And, you know, it, it does bring up a lot of questions. Uh, the way that it's played, I think, is interesting because it doesn't necessarily... It, it shows that, that, that the filmmakers were thinking about those questions too, I think. You yeah, know? I mean, it seems the, like the everyone the... else is also uncomfortable, like on the bridge, yeah. and Nimoy is kind of playing it like he's regretting it. As he's doing yeah. it, he's regretting it. It's it's weird because it brings up a lot of weird, you know, philosophical and even political questions and stuff like that. Where you know, I mean, it it really does sort of like take the 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 philosophy of you know Spock and in, in Star Trek too, and and sort of like put it under a, a a really big microscope and say how far are we willing to take this idea of you know the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few, and it doesn't answer any of those questions, which I think is good. But it does bring them up, which I think is also really good. I can see that, but I don't feel like they let it. I don't. I I mean, I feel like that scene kind of ends up being almost throwaway. It's it's completely. It's completely uncomfortable and it does bring up those questions and we can talk about it now, but I don't feel like they bring it up effectively in the movie itself in the movie itself it's like they get the information and they move on it's never brought up again we don't see any consequences for it um and so in that way i don't think it works and i would have rather if you're going to explore that and i think you could in a really meaningful way don't make it be like a five minute scene and then forget about it because those are bigger questions that need more time to be answered not just Oh, that happened by. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Uh so yeah, like the first time through I don't think I even mentioned it because I was kind of I was kind of so taken aback by it, but then also moving on so quickly from it meant that I I I just kept going and then um again, we talk about it in Women at Warp and so then like days later is when I really it started hitting me how much I didn't like that they did that. It was like a yeah. week later I was like, wow, that was messed up. Um, and in the moment it didn't so much. I mean, like I I did notice it, but I just didn't devote time to thinking about it very deeply until later. It didn't hit me till later. Yeah. And that's really the only. I mean, I guess there's probably a few small flaws in that movie, but that's really the the big thing that I didn't like about that movie and everything else I think is is really cool because we have this idea of racism and the fact that the Star Trek and or the Enterprise crew is actually pretty racist is yeah. really interesting to me. Yeah. For sure. It's kind of you know taking a lot of the stuff that they they got wrong in the original series and saying like, hey, how, you know, the world has changed since the original series is on. The, these people have changed, too. And let's let's deal with that. Which is yeah, cool. I mean, um, that dinner scene is amazing. <laughs> just seeing all of these characters actually get it so wrong. And then afterwards, Spock is just like, I'm ashamed of all of you. Get away from me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's just 
like and it's understandable that's the best part about it is it's it's not like they're coming from this with no justification they've been through years of war with these people and they've suffered huge losses and of course there's going to be resentment of course there is so yeah dealing with that and overcoming it with it is just such a star trek idea to me um yeah. And I think it's executed really well, and I really love the ending of that movie with Kirk and the Klingon woman. I can't remember her name right off the top of my head. Azapur. Yeah, she was great. Um, and having them like come together, and they've both had these losses, and then getting past them—that's great. Yeah, and also, um, you know, just sort of the idea of you know one of the big things when next gen first launch was like there's a klingon on the bridge we're friends with klingons it's so weird oh look at this they're showing how much further we've advanced even beyond the original series by saying that now we're even friends with the people who were the bad guys in the original series and then to to say like hey we're going to tell the story of how they became friends and make that all about you know kirk and 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 his crew changing their sort of perceptions of these people yeah, that, that was pretty I, cool. I just realized that Star Trek Six is kind of a, a prequel yeah. to Next well, Generation. Well, they do have yeah. Worf in it. Well, not our Worf, yeah, but weird. a Worf. Yeah. I, I heard Worf. his voice and yeah. I was like, double take. I was like, what? Because <laughs> yeah. Michael Dorn's yeah. voice is so distinctive. Um, the second mm -hmm. he started speaking, I was like, holy crap. Who is this? What's happening? Yeah. I, I was just... And I Where love I? that his grandfather, I love that this is a sham trial. It's a complete mm -hmm. waste of everyone's time. It's a sham trial so they can throw Kirk and McCoy to the wolves. And he still tries. He still does what yeah. any good defense attorney worth their salt is going to do, is zealously defend their clients. And he does that against yeah. his entire society. He really tries. I love that. And it's just like the seeds of who Worf is right there. It's great. Yep. And I like that it wasn't it wasn't mentioned. Like, of course, this wouldn't mean anything to Kirk and McCoy that this guy named Worf is defending them. So it's just kind of there and they don't even really address it in any meaningful way, which is better. Mm hmm. Not like, well, my grandpa told me a story about defending your captain. Yeah, Kirk. I mean, it's just, it's just there. I, I like that. It's the only way stuff like that works. Because if you draw too much attention to it, then it's clearly just some fan service. Um, I, I have, I have an idea here. I don't know what you guys think, but since time is, I'm thinking the same thing. Short. What, what if we were to end this here and then do another episode in the future dealing with the JJ-verse? I'm okay with it, but then that means I wasted my morning watching Into Darkness. That's not a waste of a morning. That's the best thing. And now, and now it's not hanging over your head, and you can just focus on Deep Space I Nine. I am really loving Deep Space Nine so far. Excellent. It's good stuff. So, so Andy, any, any final thoughts on, on the original six movies and... Uh, how awesome they are, whatever. How they fit into to the rest of the, the series. All that good stuff. I loved the movies. I think I loved the movies more than I loved the original series. And I really... Yeah. I think that by the time they started making the movies, they really knew what was working. And because the movies allowed them to grow, 
they're really effective. Even Star Trek uh, V, which is weaker, is still a watchable movie. Um, and then the other five for me, I, I just, I really liked all of them. Um, and it was a really good experience for me to watch them all right in a row. And I really enjoyed them and it was great. And I can't wait to watch them again, to be honest. Excellent. Excellent. So where can people find you elsewhere on the <laughs> internet? Um, well, you can follow along with my Deep Space Nine watching. Um, I now have a great picture of Cisco as my avatar, finally. And uh, that's at, at First Time Trek on Twitter. Um, and you can also find me at womenatwarp.com because I am a co-host of Women at Warp. Which you can also find on Trek FM. Woo! Welcome Woo. to the family. Thanks. Well, it was fun talking the TOS movies with Andy today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. I also like how they're like, here's some random stuff. Let us have one of your people. Like, they think that this is actually like a fair <laughs> trade. Like, here's some ugly Damn. shield. Take it and let me have one of your best friends in the world. <laughs> like, what is he going to do? Yeah. Hang that up on his wall and be like, this is better than McCoy. Earl Grey. You know, what the dressing up and what the the clubs and the meetings and the podcast, you know, all really comes down to is just finding and talking and being around other people who enjoy something that you really enjoy. The Orb. I'd like to see the Borg assimilate Ferenginar and then they would become bankers. You know, I could see... Oh my gosh, I could see bankers. drones. Yeah, yeah. The, the world's <laughs> strictest bank ever. Yeah, right. I'm sorry, you have not paid your loan. You will be assimilated. <laughs> the nanites go into you. Yes. <laughs> to the journey! You could say that the Equinox does get destroyed, but Captain Ransom lives. And since he is the highest ranking officer that's alive... He assumes command of Voyager. I hate that idea. <laughs> the ready room. I do like that he just drops out of the sky naked. That is the perfect way to introduce Q. And then I love, just before we cut to the credits, they get this great shot of him looking up at Picard and he's like, hey, what up? Like, you know, <laughs> right. A little flirty. I love it. Commentary, Trek stars. So I think it actually fits into Quantum Leap continuity somehow. I don't know. I'll don't, have to go to Pubala.com and see what they say. Don't you dare try to make me feel obligated to watch NCIS. The 602 Club. But I loved the scene with um, Lucy and Tumnus when they first meet because mm -hmm. that's a very yeah. vivid description in the book. Um, and I felt like they, they really nailed that in terms of the way it looked and... And the CGI was advanced enough so that um, James McAvoy really looked like he had fawn legs and literary tricks. Tell us about coming up with this this story for the crew of the Enterprise. Where did it come from for you, and what were some of your inspirations for diving into these characters once again? Well, Troublesome Minds was such a book that it left me with as if I I didn't quite finish. 
I'd come up with Troublesome Minds as an idea. That the, the idea was, what pushes Spock toward Colinar? Axonar, the official podcast. There is more to life than just get up, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, repeat until dead. There's more to life than that. And I, I believe that uh, that's the essential magic of Star Trek is that it says... It appeals to that that urge to get up off the couch, walk out the front door, and go see what's out there. And introducing the newest addition to the network, Women at Warp. Iman is fabulous, and I quite like Martia. Yeah, me too. She's a fun character. Yep. Also, you think Kirk would be happier about kissing himself. <laughs> right? It was his lifelong ambition. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I more feel like it's his lifelong ambition to kiss Spock, but maybe that's just me. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get on the daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, or SoundCloud, or you can just stream from the website. Visit trek.fm slash podcast to get all the links. We have another piece of feedback. All right. This is from W.A. Marchina from Connecticut. And they say, hello, Mike and Landrew. I just listened to your 50th anniversary pitches episode. You briefly mentioned that a series would logically follow the films, a series that would feature Captain Sulu of the USS Excelsior. Yeah. On the Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, Mission Log, they recently interviewed Will Wheaton, and Mr. Wheaton mentioned an idea of how adapting the storytelling style of Star Trek to the modern audience. The idea was that a new Star Trek series should be treated like True Detective or American Horror Story and distributed like a Netflix series. Every season has a new cast and a new story, a new conflict, with a little continuity throughout, you know, 12 to 16 episodes. I think this idea has so many advantages over a long, continuous series and would really exemplify the true breadth of the Star Trek universe for a mass audience. Anyway, this idea made me tingle with possibility. I was just curious about your thoughts on it. Would new Star Trek series benefit from this denser format, or is it better to see one story unfold over many seasons? Thank you for your refreshing and relevant interest presented on your show. I wouldn't have come to appreciate Star Trek as much as I do without it. Regards, W.H. Marchena. P.S. If you have not listened to that Will Wheaton interview, I highly suggest you do. It's the cat's knees and the bee's pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, W H. Uh, yeah, we really w -A. appreciate W A. I thought you said W H. I may have. All right. Well, thanks, W A and W H. Why not <laughs> both of them? Um, but yeah, we we do really appreciate the feedback. I I like the idea of having sort of an anthology based th thing made up of miniseries, kind of like True Detective, and uh, you know. The one problem that I see with that is not creative so much as um, financial, and that's it would be really freaking expensive to do that in, in Star Trek. You know, in True Detective, you can have a season with a couple of movie stars down in New Orleans and then have another season with a couple of different movie stars in L.A., and, you know, I mean, it's actually quite possible that season two is going to end up being cheaper than season one. But with Star Trek, where like the entire thing takes place, you know, in um, an alternate reality for all intents and purposes, you have to like rebuild all those sets and everything every year. Not necessarily. It's, I mean, you could do a little could, bit of dressing or whatever. You could but, blood and chrome it, is what I'm saying. 
Oh, that would be terrible. That wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't be good at all. I would not I would not approve of of having virtual sets. That would just no. 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 <laughs> it needs to be a real place and you know I mean uh, so th- that's the only like hang up that I see is is the the money the money aspect, you know. It would be hard to do that. But I mean, creatively, I mean, you can, I mean, it's, it's hard to say like, which would be better or which wouldn't be better. I don't know. I mean, part of me really likes the sort of like true detective style. Have you seen true detective yet? I've not watched true detective, but, but you got to watch true. Detective. It is so freaking good. It's not even funny. Um, just, I mean, Hey, eight episodes for the first season. Second season starts June 21st and we have, um, uh, what it's the the last thing that that Justin Lin's doing before he goes on to Star Trek. So, you know, so good, so good. But you know, so you've got <laughs> something like that, and it's kind of nice where you can just be like, okay, here's like it's basically like an eight hour movie, you know. Mm-hmm. But then you look at something like, um, well, Battlestar Galactica, just because you know, and that story which has been told over the span of like four years, and it's like you know, you really get to to sort of grow with the characters and there's there's something to that as well and um i don't know i don't know like like there are people you know like there's all these people who are like man i wish enterprise would have gone on for seven years and and everything and my thinking is always like yeah but you know if it would like like well, well this was what happened with shield right now maybe that's mm-hmm. a better example people are like shield's been picked up a- agent carter's been picked up for another year woohoo and it's like yeah that's cool and I- i'd like to see more of that but then we've got this Mockingbird series, which isn't being picked up because those other two are. And it's like, you know, I think the Mockingbird show might have been better than what's mm-hmm. going on in S.H.I.E.L.D. or Agent Carter. So sometimes you have to like, or Clone Wars, that's the prime example. How could I not think about that? <laughs> Everyone's like, why? We need more Clone Wars. No, nah, we don't because now we have Rebels and sorry, but Rebels is better, you know? So it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I guess it depends on how good, whatever it is. If it's Sulu in the JJ-verse, may that show last for 15 seasons. <laughs> but if they're like, let's do the Wharf show, I'd be like, all right, four-episode miniseries. Let's do this. You know? <laughs> what do you think? Uh, I like the, I like shorter series. I like the kind of all-killer, no-filler idea because, I mean... Uh, I never really noticed in anime, but it, it, if you if you stop and think about it, there's a lot of like while they're trying to catch up with uh trying not to surpass the the manga it was based on. There's a lot of like filler, yeah, and, you know, filler plots, filler things, and uh, like when uh, Agents of Shield and Galactica and stuff had to tread water those episodes weren't very good but the episodes like if agents of shield had just been like the last third of the season just those eight episodes no one would have complained yeah well, well I, people I mean, still would have complained but i mean this is kind of exactly what we talk about when we talk about the whole you know editing out episodes from the canon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thing you know and I mean that's true. Maybe that's the thing to do is to make thirteen episode seasons. You know, when not you know. I mean, there's there's definitely 
something to be said for that. And I, I totally agree with that. That's why I, I'm, I'm like really confused by this X-Files show mm-hmm. where they're like six episode miniseries. And it's like, yeah, let's deal with all the stuff that we didn't deal with in the movie because that was weird. And, you know, six episodes, it seems like a perfect amount of time to sort of get this thing out and it's, you get it like just do what X-Files should have always been, which is just sort of like all mythology and advancing the story along. And they're like, yeah, it's going to be a good mix of mythology and standalone episodes. And it's like, <laughs> what? You've got six episodes. What are you going to do? You're doing standalone episodes in there? Ha. You, have you learned nothing in the past <laughs> 10 years, Chris Carter? Come on. Uh, uh. So, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question. What would be the best? I mean, I think the idea of like maybe doing 13 episode seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if they are like continuity with each other, not necessarily uh, American Horror Story, yeah, you know, different plot kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm all for short series. Maybe not necessarily like you know Netflix. Here it is, binge on it. I, th- I think that Star Trek would benefit from the discussion, the the weekly discussion. You know, uh, especially in this podcast universe. You know, we don't want to be like. Well, we just finished watching this. I hope that you did, or you can't listen to this episode, that you watched all 13 episodes, and here it is, and now we never have to talk about it again. But, like, it's, to me, things like Star Trek need to be, like, lost, you know, about the journey, and not necessarily, uh, you know, about watching it together. I mean, I don't really care for Lost, but I miss watching it with my friends and and guessing what's going to happen next and and taking each episode apart piece by piece. But if it was just, here's all 13 episodes, would be like, uh, well, remember that one part? No, I don't. I don't remember that one part. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, I don't know. There was an interesting thing that uh, Larry Nemechek brought up in in the Babel conference where he, he was talking about, you know, like, there's going to be a, a Star Trek show at some point in the future. And the, you know, uh, fan landscape has changed so much that we're going to get like Talking Dead style podcasts, which can air live like an hour after mm-hmm. the episode airs. And that sounds like the coolest thing ever. I can't wait for that. You know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe the they'll best. come to maybe they'll come to Trek FM and ask us to like they did to Nerdist. You know, they went to Nerdist and said, "Hey, host something." Maybe they'd come to Trek FM and be like, "Here." Well, even if they don't, you know, screw them. Well, do yeah, it, do it on our own, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that would be that would be super cool. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree with you on on that point. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. It's an interesting thing to think about and i mean ultimately i guess um, you know my my opinion is that you know they need to just find someone good to do this and let that Mm -hmm. person do whatever they think is best you know i think once once we start getting into the studio saying like oh you need to do 22 episodes or whatever this year then that that might you know cause some some problems but if someone comes in with a plan and they execute that plan then then we're we're good to go i think mm-hmm. well i mean hmm let's see justin lens directed star trek beyond and he directed some true detective 
Yeah. Maybe Justin Lin is going to give us a Sulu series. Maybe. Um, we should probably also bring up some comments that Justin Lin made recently about the new Star Trek movie. Oh, yeah. Just because, yeah. hey, you know. And he talked about, well, it's going to be an original story. It's not going to have, like, any pre-established aliens in it, at least as, like, the main thrust. It's going to mm-hmm. have, like, new worlds and new civilizations. And uh, they're boldly going where no one has gone before. Beyond and, where no man has gone before. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds interesting. So, I don't know. I know there's a lot of people who are excited about that idea. Um, I think it's cool. So Infinite possibilities. Yeah, we'll see what happens. They start shooting, well, by the time this airs, about uh, two weeks. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Get ready for the leaks. Yeah. I I just, I keep on, I don't know, one of the things that I'm I'm sort of anticipating, because, I mean, this is the thing that, that studios do, right? On, like, the first day of production, they announce the start of filming, and then there's, like, an info dump, you know? I'm I'm really looking forward to that day, you know? Just, like, we'll probably find out a lot of stuff that day about what's going on with this movie, even if it's not, like, a plot synopsis. Maybe we'll get a plot synopsis as good as the one for Into Darkness. I don't think that's possible. It's not, but maybe it'll be almost as good as. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Well, if you want to contact us and give us your opinion on what you think the next Star Trek series should be, uh, I guess you could uh, you could message us. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose send a show and choose standard orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the left-hand column of any page to send us a voicemail using webcam's microphone, which still no one has done. And you can talk to us and our other listeners at our Facebook group, The Babel Conference. In social media, you'll find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you outside of the orbit? Uh, well, you can find me right here on Trek FM doing commentary Trek stars, and you can also find me on my website, commentarytrackstars.com, where I do commentary track stars off topic and commentary track star babies. And you can also find me on Twitter at mumbles3k. You can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E, and on various other places around the network and the internet at large. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week, and our sponsor for the show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Federation and Prime Directive, Audible is something for everyone. Mike, what'd you find for everyone? I have Star Trek Movie Memories by William Shatner, which he also narrates. It's four hours and 43 minutes long. It says, the sequel to the best-selling Star Trek Memories, documenting in deliciously lurid and candid detail all the -the behind-the-scenes shenanigans in the making of the six Star Trek movies, with on-the-scene reporting from the set of the seventh, in which Kirk... Spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, Actually, spoilers for Andy. Um... In which Kirk does something um, <laughs> noteworthy. And and you can get this book for free uh, since you listen to Trek FM. 
That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. We'd also like to thank Richard Rutledge Jr. and Renee Roberts for being our associate producers this week by supporting us on Patreon. You can find Richard on Twitter at RUT8972 and Renee at MRAS underscore 1701. Thank you for supporting us. Yeah, thank you very much. And if you want to join them in keeping us in orbit, you can support us on Patreon also. If you go to patreon.com slash trekfm, You'll find a list of donation levels where you can get things like exclusive digital goodies, early access to episodes, access to our project manager, and even be listed as an associate producer like Renee and Richard. Uh, You'll also find out where the donations can go, things like covering the monthly cost of hosting and distribution, hiring an editor for our shows, and upgrading our equipment. Again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm, so check it out. But we'll have Andy back on to talk uh, about the J.J. Verse movies. That'll probably be a whole episode by itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about some J.J. Verse comics mm-hmm. in the Mirror Universe. Yeah. So uh, uh, I might have a goatee. I-, I won't tell you, but maybe I will. I'm not going to have a goatee. Oh. Sorry. Maybe you'll have a, a, a Cubs hat, and that that will be your evil side. I almost swore accidentally, <laughs> but uh, the answer to that would be no. <laughs> well, and not everybody... because I hate the Cubs, just because the socks are the best. Anyway. Okay. Right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landrew. Mr. Sulu, I had warp one. Warp one, sir. Heading, sir. Out there. That away.